BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We have a uh, an interesting show today. We're going to talk about a, a topic that's sort of near and dear to TPM's uh, collective hearts, and that is conspiracy theories. I'm here with my colleagues, uh, David Tainter and Allegra Kirkland. Hey, Hello. Josh. Hey, how are you? Hey, Josh. Nice to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. And we're going to, so, so this isn't just like a free form, we're going to talk just randomly about conspiracy theories. We have a guest here, Anna Merlin. Is your, is your, hello. Hi. How are you? Good. It's good to meet you. I don't nice think we've you. ever met before. We actually have, but that's we, okay. Okay. Well, okay. I'm starting embarrassed. When, when did, when did we meet? Um, I interviewed for a job here like seven years ago or something. Okay. I feel, okay. So I feel a little better. It was a different lifetime. Okay. Different yeah. lifetime. Got it. Got yeah. it. Got it. All right. So the book is Republic of Lies, Americans, Conspiracy Theorists, and Their Surprising Rise to Power. Like I was saying, this is like a topic that is near and dear to to our hearts and these things are often dismissed as sort of like oh that's kind of crazy stuff let's talk about the real things happening in American politics but in the last two or three years we've learned more than like at any other time in in recent American history that the conspiracy theories are what is actually going on and not not in the literal sense what is going on but that uh, that discourse and that dialogue is not some kind of comic relief on the side, but is actually has a profound determining effect on what happens in the country. So I'm going to I'm going to read some ad copy. Want to become a true office hero? Treat yourself and your co-workers to the best iced coffee in the country with a 42 serving bag in the box from Grady's Cold Brew. Now shipping to 20 states on the East Coast. This coffee concentrate pours from a spigot just like boxed wine. Not, not. I still, I still need to talk about them because they're, they're like talking. We feel like they're talking themselves down. Yeah, that's like, true. Right. Boxed wine, like, eh, box, you know, boxed wine yeah, is that's just a to weird get drunk comparison. on. Well, but it, but it, ignore just for for our listeners, as you know, ignore ignore any any sense that this is a a kind of. It, you know, comment like the quality of, of boxed wine. Anyway, let's get back to the ad copy. Concentrate pours from a spigot just like boxed wine. So help yourself to cup after cup of Grady's signature New Orleans style flavor, freshly brewed with chicory for just a hint of all natural sweetness. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's promo code TPM. So Josh, just before we yeah. get started, I'm curious, you know, you kind of mentioned this in the intro, just why you think conspiracy theories they're so important to cover why they're a, a big part of tpm's history so, i mean i was just trying to think back to like jade helm which was what in 2012 jade maybe? helm was like a kind of 2015 uh, yeah. i guess it stretched on for a little while but but jade helm i mean obviously social media changed something about them the way they propagate but jade helm definitely is i mean jade helm there's been a lot of them tied to the federal lands uh, you know, kind of militia sort of right, stuff, the Bundy, like the Bundy scenes, stuff yeah. uh, came out of. I get, my sense has always been that that conventional political journalism focuses on you know the real stuff, the people who are elected to public office, 
that people who speak in a, you know, kind of articulate, um, kind of formal way about about politics. And that's kind of what's really happening. And, and, and when people talk about like, you know, Michelle Bachman or whatever kind of like lunatic thing she's talking about, like, oh, OK, that's funny. But like, that's not really what's happening, you know, in, in, in the real politics. And my sense has always been that this is this is just not true. In some ways, this is even more a blind spot of, you know, liberal, progressive, cosmopolitan people, what they what they think about the news that, again, that this isn't, you know, kind of real stuff. And this is, you know, kind of tawdry. And if you best not to give it oxygen and stuff like that, again, just in a very basic sense, I don't think that's true. That's why it's always been a big focus of our coverage, because we don't think you can really understand what is happening in politics, what's driving politics, what's driving public policy without understanding things. I mean, we may say that, you know, death panels is like insane and crazy and stuff like that. And factually it is, but that had a massive impact on the Obamacare debate. We were reminded yeah. just recently that even Mark Halperin had parroted that phrase, right? Yeah. We said they were baked into the law. So yeah, some of them yeah. do rise to the top. Yeah. And, and, and again, even when they, even when they don't, explicitly rise to the top they they are forming what is down there that's why you always find out these kind of like you know these kind of backbench right-wing congress people you, you hear you hear these things like well that that's kind of like something i heard on on 4chan like is that an accident well no not really you know because it's it's the underbrush let me uh quick quick more word before we um before we get to the real expert on this topic. Uh, the way we pay for everything TPM does is through membership. Becoming a member means you get extra stories that we write, you get fewer ads, you get to post on special our special member forum, The Hive, you get a bunch of other good stuff, but it also means you support our journalism. And you also support this podcast, which doesn't just like, you know, fall out of the sky. This is, this is, uh, this podcast is made by TPM Media. So we have a special offer for podcast listeners, 20% off, a prime membership. That's a two and a zero. Twenty percent off. A huge discount. Um, you probably weren't expecting this, but it's here. To get this offer, you go to talkingpointsmemo.com/deal. Talkingpointsmemo.com/deal. You go to that, and you can get twenty percent off a a prime uh, membership, and you support this podcast. You support TPM, and you get all sorts of uh, awesome stuff. So, you know, let let let's get into talking about this book. Yeah. What's the story? Um, I like tore through this book when we got in the office in like three days. It was just super compelling and I thought it was a really nuanced and sympathetic portrait of people who believe in conspiracy theories and why. And, you know, Americans have very good reason to mistrust their government, which does lie to them in all sorts of ways and has throughout history. So I thought this book is just a really valuable portrait of that whole thing. We should also probably note that Anna is a senior uh, reporter at the Special Projects Desk at Gizmodo, and she also works as a staff writer at The Village Voice and The Dallas Observer and Jezebel. So she's been in the game for a long time doing great work. So I was hoping you could start by kind of talking about the process of writing it. I know that I guess the origin was you went on this conspiracy cruise thing for Jezebel and did this long form story on it. And then the book kind of came out of that. So. Yeah, um, but you know, before I was at Jezebel, I was in Dallas, and I wrote a little bit about conspiracy stuff in Dallas. Like the architects and engineers for 9/11 Truth have a big presence um, in Texas. I wrote a little bit about like the Texas nationalist movement and sort of extremism generally, so I knew 
um, a fair amount about that. But when I went on the cruise, I was introduced to some stuff that I hadn't heard of, like redemption theory, which is a conspiratorial idea about how this country's tax laws work, which I realized in hindsight I had seen in Texas, and I didn't know that that's what that was. Um, I had seen all these weird tax maneuvers and only realized in hindsight, oh, that's that's where that came from. Um, and also on the conspiracy cruise, you know, I was it was January of 2016, and I was thinking, oh, this is really interesting. Um, uh, the Trump campaign is bringing all this stuff to the surface again that, you know, was sort of floating along the bottom for a while. What's going to happen when he loses? Where is all this energy going to go? So I started thinking about it in those terms. And then, of course, that's not what happened. And instead, uh, conspiracy theorizing occupies a really different place than I had expected. So the process of writing the book was really the process of trying to understand what it looks like when people in power and people who are disempowered are engaging in conspiracy theorizing and conspiracism equally and sort of what what the difference is. Let me, what, I want to ask, what is a conspiracy cruise? Like are the are the theorists organizing? Like what's the yeah. what's the how's what was that? So this was the first conspiracy cruise organized by a woman who usually does like spiritual cruises. Um, it's a little bit of a debacle because it was. Uh, you know, so it's like a hundred people on a boat of like two thousand who are in this special conspiracy section. Right. We're very <laughs> easy to pick out. Everybody right. knew which people were the conspiracy cruisers. Um, and so really the focus was to listen to people like Andrew Wakefield was there, who's the now uh, discredited doctor who first promoted the link between the MMR vaccine and autism. Autism, excuse me. Um, there were some UFO theorists there. There were some people promoting redemption theory. Um, and what was interesting to me really is how many people were there because they were in debt and they wanted to understand from uh, redemption theorists how to how to get out of it. They really saw this as like a like a very uh, practical thing. Yeah, for them. It, it seemed like a practical thing to go on this cruise. Um, so yeah, it was it was an interesting experience. I was there. A journalist for Popular Mechanics was there. A blogger for a site called Violet Metaphors was there, and a photographer for Popular Mechanics. And of course, as you would expect, um, the focus of the cruise very quickly turned to like, why are these journalists here? Who do they really work for? Uh, it became a lot more stressful. It's like a self-parody. Yeah, it's. I, I know that at least one person is working on like a mockumentary about it, and I'm like, yeah, that's that makes sense. And, and so, just to sort of place this, these weren't all what we what we at TPM often focus on, kind of very political conspiracy theories, often of the right. You have things like UFOs that are kind of like. You know, there's no with things without an obvious political valence were there too. Yeah, it was interesting. This was actually happening during the Maller occupation, and there wasn't a lot of discussion about that. There was not like a militia element, other than actually the only person who was there who was sort of sympathetic to that group is um, a guy named Michael Badnerick, who's a longtime perpetual libertarian candidate for office and sort of a self self styled expert on the Constitution. He um, doesn't. He, he will work for silver because obviously, you know, the financial system is going to collapse. Mm -hmm. We were we were sailing towards Mexico and he wouldn't go on board uh, like on shore in Mexico because, you know, he viewed Mexico as a lawless country. But he also doesn't pay taxes 
carries an unregistered firearm. He's an interesting guy. He's real nice. We still correspond. Like they let you take a firearm on the on the boat? I'm unclear if he actually had a firearm with him. It was huh. just it was sort of his uh dick. They also, you know, to go on these cruises you have to have certain vaccines or you have to certify that you've had certain vaccines. So I don't I don't know how any of that worked. Right, right, right. Okay. This is one thing I'm curious about. Um is if most people sort of have one conspiracy theory that is like their true, you know, guiding light, or if you kind of are more open to them, then you're kind of like the whole bag makes sense, you know, sure, like general anti-government stuff. Because mm-hmm. I always thought it was funny on like doomsday preppers, how people are like really specifically like in 43 years, the sun's going to explode. Like that's the clear, you know, order of things. But what did you find? So first of all, my, my general shtick is that most people in America believe in at least one conspiracy theory. 50% of us, one in three, there's a lot of studies about it, but most of us have some openness to at least one idea. Um, the people that I write about and the people that we think of when we say conspiracy theorists are the people who are in like the, the deep end of the pool, is what I call it. And people who are in the deep end of the pool, once you're over there, uh, your openness to ideas tends to change, where I saw a lot of people who had sort of been brought in because of anti-vaccine beliefs or whatever, and then to me started to register an openness to a lot of things, even things that seemed to me to be in conflict with other things they believed. Like if you believe that the MMR vaccine causes autism um, because it has mercury in it, surely you don't also believe that autism is caused by Roundup, which is a pesticide that some of them have begun claiming is in uh, the MMR vaccine, like both of those things, don't. This don't is the work. one that there was recently a major judgment about Roundup. Is that? Am I remembering? That yeah, right? but it's it wasn't it wasn't about not vaccines, autism. But it yeah, was about like yeah, carcinogen. Yeah, right, right. It was, there the was a ruling one. that Roundup is a carcinogen, which was very encouraging for a lot of these folks um, who have come to believe that vaccines don't just have mercury in them, but you know a, a whole host of of other things. But yeah, so I would say that generally, a lot of people that I've spoken to, once the door was open, all kinds of things came walking through it that surprised me. So sort of like almost like a gateway drug that, 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 that makes you doubt sort of, you know, established, learned, official opinion, then you're kind of like, everything is up for grabs. Yeah, I think that's fundamentally what it is. And that's also why we're even seeing a rise in things like Flat Earthers, who are an incredibly fringe group. I've only met one in the wild ever. You know, I know there's a lot of like focus on them right now, but they're not a large group of people. But yeah, once you start questioning established facts, who can be trusted, then that that takes you to, to a lot of places. I always wonder about... I, I, I have wondered with the flat earth stuff whether, you know, there's a lot. I know I have a lot of friends who love professional wrestling. They love it. They know it's not real. And I almost wonder about that because you can just fly and you can tell the earth is not flat. Right. I mean, it's you can literally and there's lots of stuff like, do you not think the satellites are are real? It's I, that one. I have a that one kind of challenges my sense of uh, can people really think this is true? I think sincere flat earthers, and there's a lot of sort of contrarian ones, it seems like, but I think sincere flat earthers would tell you that the um, the veil that has been put in place by the people in charge is right. very durable and um, that they want you to believe that when you're flying, you see the curvature of the earth. 
Yeah, you can justify anything if you so choose, you know? Um, I mean, it's really, it's not hard. And it's especially not hard when you can find ecosystems online and now to some extent in real life that are so self-reinforcing that, yeah, really anything that you choose to believe, you're going to find a basis for it. Yeah. Another thing I'm curious about, you sort of mentioned this with the conspiracy and people sort of being like, who are these journalists here? But is, is sort of how you... You were received by people while reporting the story. Because I know you and I have both reported a lot on sort of um, white nationalist extremists. And there they tend to be more, if they'll talk to you, but they're like, the, you're the enemy of the people and you're like, journalists are bad. But were the other people more like, do they see you as a potential convert? Were they friendly? Were they hostile? Like who, who was the most like open to you? It's super varied. I have pretty bad experiences with the with the anti-vaccine folks just because I've been writing about that world for so long that, you know, like I ran into a PR person for one of these groups and she was like, I know you, I'm never going to answer another question that you have for me and I'm going to deny that we've ever spoken. And I was like, you realize I have a tape recorder running. <laughs> like, you realize I'm like it's standing here. That's yeah. not how it works. Um, I would say that the white nationalists are... Not great, but when they find out that I'm Jewish, they use it as like a um, as a pretext to be sort of performatively okay with it, as a way to be like, I'm extremely reasonable. I'll even talk to you, a Jew. I simply want you to go back to your country, which is Israel. Um, uh, the the people that I had the easiest time with probably were. Uh, the redemption theorists in some ways because they're talking about feeling taken advantage of by an opaque financial system and saying to me, you know, uh, folks with a lot of money have found loopholes. Why can't I find these loopholes? Like, why why wouldn't this work? And so th- that was that was easy for me to now, engage is, with. Is, is this the one where they say, like, if you actually know all the rules, technically you don't actually have to pay taxes, but they don't tell you that? Is that am I thinking of the right one? Yeah. So redemption theory was, was first promulgated by a guy named Roger Alvick, who had a long history in uh, white nationalist causes. Uh, and then in, like, the... Oh, gosh, the 70s or 80s, uh, he he was a farmer. He lost his farm and he started promoting this idea that he came to call redemption theory, which is that when the government moved off the gold standard in the 30s, they started using human lives instead to back currency. And so every time you're born, the government creates a straw man persona like your legal straw man and deposits six hundred and thirty thousand dollars into a secret bank account. Uh And so if you know the right set of legal maneuvers, you can access, you can free your straw man and you can access your secret money. And so now redemption theory has sort of moved away from that specific amount of money and those specific maneuvers because they didn't work. Mm -hmm. But there, yeah, there is all these different sort of um, redemption theory experts telling you that there are ways to get out of paying federal taxes, being a federal citizen. It's sort of a cousin of sovereign citizenry. And also I see redemption theory maneuvers in things like civil court cases, even child custody, there is this sense that you as a person are separate from your from your legal legal federal personhood and that you can sort of decouple the two for financial benefit. Doesn't it come, I mean, I would, I, I thought, I, I'm probably misremembering this, I thought that maybe it was this guy that you mentioned, that there was one of these guys who said, yep, there's this kind of secret rule, you don't have to pay federal taxes. And he at least said he had not paid federal taxes for all these years. And he's like, look, 
you know, if I if what I weren't saying, if I if what I was saying were not true, I would have been charged with the crime. And he actually had not been charged with the crime. And then eventually he was charged with the crime, went to jail. Is that is that um, him? Is that the same guy? Yeah, or? all of these folks end up going to prison. <laughs> um, <laughs> the IRS is very familiar with these maneuvers now. So when two of the people in my book are Sean David Morton and his then wife Melissa, who had been promoting these ideas for a really long time in various forms, and yeah, we're often like you know, here we are, it works, we're right. proof that it works. And then I was there when they were sentenced to a pretty lengthy prison term. So, you know. Mm. Yeah, I guess it, they catch up with you. They do catch up with you, but it takes a while. And yeah. in the time it takes for them to catch up with you, they sell these ideas to other people and tell them, you know, I will keep you from losing your house. I will get you out of jail. There are a lot of redemption theory and sovereign lawyers in jail. And so the the sort of financial damage they can do for other people. That part is, of it is really sad. Because, yeah. like, whatever, if you're into UFOs or you think the earth is flat, like, you're just like, whatever. I don't really care. I mean, yeah. you can think whatever the hell you want. Um, but people who are kind of like, I need to, I'm in trouble and I need to, like, research up on this. That's like, that's sad. That's like, and it's predatory yeah. for the people who are pushing it. Yeah. I wrote I wrote about this on the, on the conspiracy cruise, but there was a lady who was there and who was like, I'm going to go home and try some of this on my debt. And I was like, please don't. She was like, nope, this is what I'm going to do. And I uh, don't know what became of her, but I was very concerned about it. One of my favorite chapters of the book was None of It is Crazy, which is about um, conspiracy theories in black communities. A lot of it focuses on New Orleans um, residents after Katrina sort of hearing rumors and and believing that you know the government might have intentionally exploded some of the levees and let these communities flood. Um, because I think, especially in the Trump era, people are so inclined to think of all conspiracy theorists as QAnon, you know, flag-waving white people for mm-hmm. the most part. And that's not the case. There's this idea, I guess, that, you, you know, if you're more educated and better off, you should sort of, like, know better and not give any of this stuff any credence. But you talk about anti-vaxxing being something that tons of rich upper-middle-class people in Marin County, California, are all about. Or, yeah. I mean, the Russiagate, extreme end of the Russiagate, totally. you know, followers. So can you, can you speak to that a bit? I mean, I would say that, like... Classically, historically, conspiracy theories work best for people who are on the lower end of the financial and educational attainment spectrum because these are people for whom America hasn't worked as well. And so they are much more likely to engage in conspiratorial ideas about why that is. And the the point that I make in that, that chapter is that for black Americans, the conspiracy theories that have a lot of currency in black communities in America are directly based on historical events. All of them are extremely reasonable. None of them like are sort of the Q on style, where the fuck did that come from? Right, right. And so, like the levies, this was something that I only found out about because my brother lives in New Orleans and has for a long time, and was like, you know, this is a really common belief. There's a really beloved community activist who just passed away who has this, who had this belief and talked about it a lot. Um, this woman. Uh, Diane French Cole. Um, but so, yeah, the idea that the levees were deliberately blown up during Hurricane Katrina in order to drown poor black parts of the city and sort of flood people out is based on the Great Mississippi Flood of 1927 when levees outside of New Orleans in an, in an unincorporated parish were actually deliberately blown up with the idea that um, drowning these outlying areas was going to save the city. And uh, by by blowing up those levees, it destroyed a lot of people's homes. It triggered one of the greatest mass migrations in history. It killed a number of people that we're still not sure about. Uh, and a lot of black families at that time said that they were, you know, not allowed to evacuate while white families and even mules were being taken out. Um, and so then... 
that that theory recurred again during Hurricane Betsy in the 60s. The idea that people were, you know, going to destroy the levees on purpose because, you know, using floods and hurricanes to get rid of poor black people was politically expedient. So it's it's not surprising that this comes up. And it's also ties directly to what did happen after Hurricane Katrina, which is that wealthier areas of the city were rebuilt first. A lot of poor black people, again, had to move. A lot of people that I met when I was working in Texas were people who had been permanently displaced by Hurricane Katrina and could never go back. So, you know, the idea that these are all just sort of crazy, wild-eyed uh, conspiracy theories that come out of nowhere, especially for black Americans, is just not true. Isn't it? I mean, it's, it's always seemed to me that there's a, I mean, for the African American community, is there's things like the Tuskegee experiment that sort of like, you know, sounds like a totally insane conspiracy theory, but is completely true. Yeah. Um, then on the other hand, more broadly, I think it is, it's in the nature of things for people in a society who are most distant, most marginalized from wealth and power to suspect things about a world that they are very distant from and acts towards them in in unknown often capricious ways and that's and it kind of plays both ways you even see it on the other side with people who are elites often miss things because if you're close to power if you went to sort of like an elite college and university if you've been you know if you've worked on capitol hill and all these kind of things you you have this sense of sort of like well i know how those people operate that's uh, that that that's kind of crazy and so it's it's there's always this this there's just a basic sociological dimension that you people have different levels of suspicion and trust about how power works depending on where they are in the society and that's and that's you know that makes perfect sense let me let me ask you this what about um something like you know in what is sometimes thought of as sort of an or conspiracy theory of the last you know century of american history is the jfk assassination right um and where I, I guess at a certain level, where do we sort of draw the line? What's a conspiracy theory? Right. So, okay, we know a couple of things. We know that before World War One, most conspiracy theories in America were about outsiders. They were about Masons and communists and Jews. And then as the size of the federal government grew, suspicions about the federal government grew, which is completely reasonable and sort of as it should be. Like, it's a pretty encoded part of American DNA that we sort of distrust power. Um, and the thing about the JFK assassination, it is, it's a really perfect distillation of the ways that government secrecy feeds citizen paranoia. And I mean, so is UFO stuff in a in a different way. But so, you know, the JFK assassination, um, one of the main things that fed conspiracy theorizing about it was the Warren Commission report. Um, the best book about this is Catherine Olmsted, who's an academic and a historian, wrote a book called Real Enemies. And she talks a lot about the ways that the Warren Commission was very motivated to prove that there was only one shooter in the JFK assassination because more shooters meant a conspiracy, which meant, you know, national panic. Mm -hmm. Um we also know that the JFK autopsy report was redacted because it showed evidence of a genetic disorder and um, STDs, both of which, you know, the, the federal government was not super interested in having be public information because it would have discredited him, discredited right. him as a person. So the disfa dissatisfaction over the Warren Commission report fed this 
you know, type of suspicion and paranoia that never really went away. It actually got worse in the decades after the report was concluded. And it's sort of a really interesting way that we see that a lack of transparency really has effects that echo forever. They never mm-hmm. really go away. It's kind of a form of trauma. It's it's funny because one of the things I, I thought a lot about this over the years is that, you, do, you know, you have these um, three iconic big public assassinations in the United States over a very short period of time, uh, both the Kennedy brothers and Martin Luther King. And on the one hand, there is a quote unquote conspiracy theory tied to each one. On the other hand, there is something about American political culture that I think goes beyond the people who are actually running the federal government at any given moment or the people who are in charge of whatever report to, as you say, one person. Mm -hmm. And so one person makes it like, I mean, any one person can do anything totally insane. Um, But it having it be one person, it it isolates it and kind of neuters it as something that has any political meaning. Mm. Like, because because if 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 Lee Harvey Oswald, you know, just decided to kill the president, like, what can you do about that? Someone just comes up with something totally insane to do. But you, you, we've got a lot of assassinations in U.S. history, mm-hmm. and they they can't all be just random. That doesn't mean there's a grand conspiracy in each one, but there's these different dimensions of it that have always been very interesting to me. That there's both a there's both a strong conspiratorial conspiracy theory dimension of American political culture, and also this anti-conspiracy theory mm-hmm. um, one sort of neutering and isolating these instances of, of violence, kind of depoliticizing them in, in, in some ways. Yeah. The thing, too, is that we we have so many assassinations and assassination attempts and now mass shootings. And psychologically, um, this, this social scientist named Rob Brotherton wrote a really good book about it. We, we want big events to have big causes because that just makes more sense to us. So the idea, literally, that somebody can change the course of history because he gets up one morning and decides to shoot the president mm-hmm. or kill a bunch of little kids sitting in, sitting in school is it really challenges and offends our sense of order and mm-hmm. our sense of like the world making sense. And so it's another reason why, for instance, we see so many false flag conspiracy theories now is it's much more reassuring in some ways for folks to think, you know, these mass shootings are being staged to take away our guns because that is a more satisfying and specific cause and effect rather than just like the world is random. People engage in insane acts of violence and there are, you know, they, people have access to firepower that is deadly within 30 seconds. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I mean, there's examples like the Las Vegas shooting where, you know, right. 50 people died and there was never really a clear official explanation after this lengthy investigation. And, you know, that is like catnip conspiracy theory stuff. It's just there's this horrific, unexplained event. There must be a cover up. There must be something else going on here. You know, it's yeah. funny. It's funny because there is this there is this, uh, you know, uh, sociology and social psychology school of thought, which is the one you just described, which is people, uh, you know, probably all people everywhere, but there are certain things that are, that are, you know, kind of, especially the case in U.S. political culture, that you don't want things to just be random. You, you need to have an explanation and that there's all sorts of reasons why that, you know, grounds people. And, and that is true and valid, but I have also, I've always thought myself that there's this counter thing, that there is this great, um, there's a, 
there is something in American political culture, maybe elite American political culture, that wants to sort of isolate these things yeah. and, and, and not have them be part of a bigger um you know, a, 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 a bigger story because I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. There was, uh, when Norman Mailer was working on, uh, Harlot's ghost mm-hmm. like 25 years ago, uh, it was a book about a fictional book about the Kennedy assassination. And he gave a, he gave a, a, a talk one time and he basically said that his theory of what was happening with the CIA is that they were covering stuff up because they were involved in so many things. They couldn't be sure whether they were involved or not. And they didn't really want to find out. Hmm. So it wasn't that they were really trying to cover some deep secret up. But if you're working with the mob and working with all sorts of weird anti-communist types in Cuba, like, how do you know that you didn't somehow tie into this. Yeah, I mean, also, like, I think an even better example is the MLK assassination. Like, we know that in the period leading up to his assassination, Martin Luther King was being hounded by the FBI. The FBI was sending him anonymous letters trying to get him to commit suicide. Uh, So the fact that he then was assassinated struck a lot of people as like, well, this seems like the logical endpoint of what has been going on up to this point, rather than, again, just another aggrieved random man with a gun. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think really the your willingness to see patterns has a lot to do with your experience of America and how our political and social systems have treated you. And also, as you say, social psychologists always point to psychological explanations and historians always point to historical explanations. And nobody is really prepared to admit that it actually might be both. Right, yeah. right, right. To, to get back to the um, false flag mm. thing, I feel like, I mean, Alex Jones is definitely one of the main characters in your book. He pops up in chapter after chapter. And he's sort of such a foundational figure for for so much, for false flag stuff, for weird griftery supplement scams, for the obsession with pedophilia and the far right right now. Like he's, he's, you know, at the forefront of that community. But I'm wondering, uh, I mean, he's obviously had a lot of pretty major setbacks recently, like this messy divorce and like embarrassing details coming out from that and being sued by the Sandy Hook parents for defamation um, and, of course, being kneecapped by YouTube and booted off all these platforms. Mm-hmm. So do you think he sort of still occupies the same role or do you think he's been kind of successfully muted as a voice in this space? I think that we're seeing the decentralization right now of conspiracy culture because for so long it was that like any conspiracy idea that got popular enough that it was being discussed on like YouTube or 4chan or places that he or his staff were going to see, they were going to pick it up and megaphone it. You Mm -hmm. know, they really were the Fox News of conspiracy. They didn't come up with a lot of stuff themselves, but they successfully kind of were able to accelerate it and give it like a much bigger platform. And as you say, they were able to monetize it, both because he built a pretty good like website and social media presence and because he figured out the supplement business at way before a lot of other folks did. Um, so, yeah, I think that what is happening right now is, first of all, he is an object lesson in the fact that you can get sued for defamation. So I think a lot of these small time conspiracy peddlers that were trying to sort of use him as a model are going to stick to defaming dead people uh, because it's harder to to win a case that way. Um, And it's also kind of showing the rest of us that sometimes deep platforming does actually work. It's sort of a controversial idea. But yeah, like 
the fact that he's not on Twitter anymore, the fact that he do, he's not on YouTube anymore is making things harder. Though, again, in the case of InfoWars, there are so many personalities, there are so many channels. Like, you know, YouTube has not gotten rid of all their channels. Twitter has not gotten rid of most of them. Paul Joseph Watson, who's one of his biggest, you know, senior reporters, is still active. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. The What happens with the Sandy Hook lawsuit is going to be a real, like, test case for the claims that these people are willing to make. Well, it's also that, that like, like with the Jade Helm thing, it's crazy, but it's hard to say who the victim of that was, right? I mean, the federal government is in a way, there's some people, but I, with, with Jones, you have certain things like, like, you know, uh, terrorizing and abusing these parents. It's like, so, I mean, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's so extreme and, and it's so, um, so utterly without justification that it, it does seem like that's a case where, you, you know, you're going to get some judgments that may, that may destroy him. Um, but again, he's, I don't know. He, he, I know he's not unique, but <sighs> You know, he seems like he may be uniquely vulnerable to legal action. Yeah, I mean, he's just he also broadcasts, you know, for nine hours a day, every day. The things he said are so voluminous and so unambiguous. But yeah, I think Jade Helm, in a way, it was very stupid. You know, obviously, it was this idea that like a, a military exercise was actually cover for a real invasion of Texas. The fact that Greg Abbott, who is then the attorney general, and Rick yep. Perry, who is then the governor, were both engaging in Jade Helm conspiracy theorizing is insane. I think it's weird how much it's gotten buried. Ted Cruz also, who is, you know, still a senator, Mm -hmm. was very engaged in Jade Helm stuff at the same time that he was saying outrageous things about, you know, the secret gay agenda. But yeah, I don't know that it ultimately really harmed anyone because it was so big that there was almost no one small enough to be directly mad at. Right. Whereas false flag conspiracy theorizing always fastens on private citizens who have just undergone a really terrible thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, another thing I was curious about is, I'm, I'm sure you saw that Verge story a couple weeks back about the Facebook, Facebook content moderators, yeah, yeah. Um, and these people who, you know, get paid like 15 bucks an hour or something to just watch hours of beheading videos and horrible, horrible stuff. Um, but one, one of the most frightening takeaways from that story was, you know, a couple of the people are like, yeah, I mean, you steep in this stuff long enough and you start to get a little curious about it. Like, yeah, maybe the there's is some thing a little off about the Holocaust total numbers or like 9-11 was an inside job or whatever. But I doubt you're going to say yes to this. But was there any conspiracy theory that you were kind of like got curious about over the course of your research? I mean, I went into it believing in aliens. And so I still believe in aliens. Like that's that's fine with me. <laughs> um, you know, I think that there's probably I think a like a lot of people, I think the chances that we're alone in the universe are kind of small. And B, I think whatever we do know about alien technologies is probably not completely public yet. And, you know, we can say that with a fair degree of certainty, because like, you know, the Department of Defense program that was just revealed mm-hmm. at the end of 2017 has a lot of sketchy things about it, namely why this, you know, one contractor in Nevada who's friends with Harry Reid was had this, you know, gigantic military contract is not great. But um, yeah, I would say I would say that the odds that we don't know everything that the government knows about UFOs is like uh, pretty good. You know, but again, like the the conspiracy theories that I believe in or are more receptive to have everything to do with my level of privilege, educational attainment, the fact that I know the Holocaust happened because I didn't meet some of my family members because of it. You know, like it's uh, it's um, interesting to me that the that Facebook didn't think 
about what that was going to do to people, especially people, yeah, who, again, might not have had a super, super high level of education and were being put in front of the most sort of disturbing and extreme content all day long for years. Like, it is just sort of another example of the ways that big social media and tech companies have built these gigantic platforms that serve as the most effective pipeline we can possibly imagine for extremism and conspiracy theorism and then just kind of walked away from them and been like, oh, well, there we go. Um, And then I guess lastly, Anna, I was just wondering um, if you're still in touch with any of the people that you spoke to for the book and what reviews they have given you. Oh, gosh. Um, I have sort of like ongoing conversations with some people in the UFO world because that was the the, those were the sort of easiest sets of communications. I ended up writing an investigative story about one of the white nationalist folks because he turned out to be a military recruiter uh, at the same time that he was uh, leading this white nationalist group. Um, I would say that I, I hear from some people occasionally, but I, would, I wouldn't say that we're friends. Uh, I do have sort of a weird Twitter correspondence going with a woman who I wrote about in the intro to my book, who is a Holocaust denier who lives in the Southwest, who just sort of pops in occasionally to be like, you know, you're still not taking the JFK assassination seriously, and you're still not listening to what I have to say about the Holocaust, and then we have a little back and forth about it, and you know, but yeah, I got to put a copy of my book in the mail for her. Um, I'm sure I'll hear from more, from more of them as time goes on. I, I have a question, because some of the, as I, you know, people have different... Um, more or less expansive ideas of what is political, but some of these some of these conspiracy theories are not obviously political, or at least not obviously political in a clear right left hmm. sense. Um, and but then you have things like QAnon, PizzaGate, which obviously have a very strong political uh, uh, content to them. And with some of the QAnon stuff, I have maybe this is just my own efforts to make sense of this stuff. When I see people spouting that stuff, it at least seems to me that a lot of them either don't care if it's true mm. or even know it's not true. That's not really the point. It, it is a it's a kind of uh, it's a kind of political action yes. in itself to voice it because it is a very kind of eliminationist, um, uh, you know, threatening dialogue like you know you may think trump is down but he's about to arrest all of you mm-hmm. and then you're all going to die and so it's this weird kind of menace and threat thing um and and so i'm just curious whether when you were looking into this whether you saw the overtly political conspiracy theories slash right wing conspiracy theories as different in some deeper way from the ones that are less clearly political in nature? I mean, right-wing pro-Trump conspiracy theories are really interesting because it's a group of people who are conspiracy theorizing in favor of the person in power. Like, usually conspiracy theories don't have to exist for the person in power. So in one sense, QAnon is a sense of just how unusual and controversial this presidency has been that this whole conspiracy theory had to spring up around the idea that he's secretly doing a great job, right? Like that's a, that's a, that's a new one. Um, And then as a lot of conspiracy communities so often do, it's sort of started uh, decentralizing and sort of unraveling. And now QAnon is more and more just sort of like trying to be this grand unified theory of everything. But the underlying 
sense still is that there are about to be all these, you know, secret indictments unsealed. And yeah, all of all of President Trump's opponents or are going to get arrested. Um, but what I think is really important about QAnon is that it is, for, especially for a lot of like older folks who aren't like digital natives, this has become their community and the way this thing that gives them like purpose and meaning and allows them to feel like they are part of this like big, exciting sort of historical movement. And I saw that with Pizzagate too. You know, the folks that I talked to who are really involved in Pizzagate went from being ordinary people to feeling like they were fighting a secret high level level sex trafficking ring like this really gave them a sense of narrative to their lives that I think is really important for a lot of people especially people who might be super isolated are doing a lot of their socializing on the internet so like you know people always ask me you know my elder relative is suddenly talking a lot about QAnon or the Muslim Brotherhood or whatever and I always say like you know make sure that they are less isolated and, you know, seeing more of the world and some of this stuff kind of loosens its hold. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think another good proof of that is just that on the left, too, people and who got really, really invested in, you know, Mueller's going to yes. march Trump out in handcuffs. So, you know, it gives people, older people who are online a lot, you know, just something to focus on, something I get excited about and feel like they're part of. You and know? just disaffected liberals in general. You know, I have a whole chapter of my book about the way that like Russiagate conspiracy theorizing at its really extreme end sort of mirrored deep state conspiracy theorizing. And it really is, yeah, like it gives people a functional order and narrative to their lives at a time when everything is fucking crazy and makes no sense. So, totally. you know, that's a very like sympathetic thing. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely, I mean, you know, with, uh, th- there is, a lot of the origination of many religions, there's been a lot of uh, sociological studies, sociology of religion, in cases where you have doomsday cults and, you know, the world's going to end on this date, blah, 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 blah. And what we would think is when the world doesn't end, everybody's like, what the fuck? Like, okay, I guess I messed up. But in fact, that's the seldom what happens. Usually you have an intensification of the belief. Mm. And there's all sorts of things. It's not exactly the same thing. But there's all sorts of dynamics like this that um, with, with these conspiracy theories, if everything is like fucked up, which it really is in the country at the moment, it is it is very reassuring and very grounding to think that that's only the surface, exp- the you know, appearance that in fact there's a. There's there's a plan and there's there's this is all going to be made right eventually and I can be part of making it right by kind of like attacking people on Twitter. Yeah, um, conspiracy theories mirror religion and they do the same the same kind of thing. You want to believe that there is an identifiable good and evil and that there is a divine underlying order to the universe. You know, right. it must be nice. Right. No. Let's well. Let's hope. Let's hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, uh, Anna Merlin, uh, Republic of Lies. Now is it out now? It's out on April sixteenth. April sixteenth. So when it's out in about a week so and i assume it's available in like in amazon and independent booksellers and like everyone yeah it's, it's all those places cool 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 all right so uh let me remind everybody uh that the josh marshall podcast is sponsored by grady's cold brew iced coffee ready to give it a swirl get 20 percent off your first order at grady's with promo code tpm that's promo code tpm Anna, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. See you guys next week. Thank you.